today we're, we're continuing our rebuild series and so for those who have missed um, the first couple of weeks it is on our website you can have a listen up there and and if you have missed it I'm going to really encourage you to go and do it. I know you're saying I've got to listen to a sermon during the week and not just Sunday um, but the thing is they kind of build on each other and so what we're talking about today kind of leaps off what we've been talking about the first few weeks. So the week one, as we introduce ourselves to Nehemiah, we're, we're talking about rebuild our relationship. Um, and, and this year, it, it kind of is a year that we kind of, everyone needs to rebuild from in some way. Like um, uh, it could be health, it could be financially, it could be just getting a sense of what's going on again. Like, um, and, and again, that may go on for some time. And, and so we can sit and wait till everything goes back to normal or we can go, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want to do with my life? What do you want to do in our church? And so rebuilding a relationship becomes the foundation for that. If you try and follow God without knowing God, it becomes really hard um, because all of a sudden you, you'll sort of listen to some of the things I'm saying. Oh, Pastor Keith said I need to do this and this and this. And I'm going, well, I'm actually, first thing I'm saying is that you need to listen to God and to do that, the best way to do that is to know him and, and be in a relationship with him. And that leaps into last week, which we talked about rebuilding our faith. Um, because sometimes our faith can take a hit. Um, um, and it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for um, many, many years or you've been Christian for just five minutes. Um, sometimes our faith has to be rocked by something. We don't understand something or where it's things, things in life are becoming really hard or, or just a whole build-up of stuff. We've sort of doubted God or we're actually falling out of relationship with him and so all of a sudden we're not trusting in God, we're trusting ourselves and all of a sudden life is just too hard. And so we need to put an effort into rebuilding our faith. And We, we talked last week about this idea of, of taking that intentional step to trust God and to ask Ask for more, ask for bigger in God and believe bigger and, and how that can sort of um, deliberately sort of um, um, happen. And then as we're doing that too, and we've done that this morning as well, where we then take time to go, God, look at what you have done. We're going to recognise what you've done because that's going to build my faith as well. And so we need to be in that process. And today we're going to be talking about rebuilding our vision. And again, you can't rebuild your vision without sort of rebuilding your faith because it's really hard to believe something if, if you don't have faith in that, whatever that is. So like if you sort of got a vision of doing something and, and you have no idea how to get there, no sense of reality of seeing it becoming true, it just becomes a dream. It's not really a vision. So vision for me is a little bit different from a dream. Like someone's got, I dream of owning a Ferrari. And, and, and the thing is it may, it most likely will never happen. Like I, I don't really want a Ferrari because I'm, um, my kids can't keep any car clean, so I'm not buying one of those. Um, but, but the thing is, I, but if you had a vision for a Ferrari, you might live your life a little bit differently. You might go, I'm going to save every, every five cents I have. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save up, save up. And it, you're doing a vision sort of sparks action in your life. And today I want to talk about rebuilding our vision because I want us to spark the action in the direction that, that God um, wants to take us. But before we get to, the, I suppose, the rebuild, we've kind of got to address what's happening around us. And because what we need to realise is that rubble can rob our, your vision. Rubble can rob your vision. And, and I, what I mean by this, like for Nehemiah, it was quite obvious there was, there was a big mess around Jerusalem. And, um, and when we looked at chapter 1, um, his brother had come back from Jerusalem. He was asking how things were going. He said, the city walls... And the temple, um, uh, the places around the temple that protect the temple, they're all in ruins. 
Now, even though they were despairing about it, no one back in Jerusalem was doing anything about it. They had learned to live with it. And, and I don't know about you, I've, I've had housemates in the past where I had this one housemate years and years ago and what he would do, he would cook all... We had a rule in the house, if you use it, you wash it up. Good rule, I thought, except he found a way around it because what he'd do, he'd cook all his veggies for the week on like a Sunday night and store them in the fridge. And then he'd leave the saucepans on the sink. And then he'd go, well, the next Sunday when I go to cook, I'll wash them up and then I'll cook again. But me wanting to use my... They're my saucepan, so I want to use my saucepan. He had me sort of like... I either then... I couldn't not wash them up because he'd say, you haven't washed them up. But I'd be, I'd be saying to him like, oh, but I'll wash them up before I use them. And so he kind of had this thing. But some people get used to that kind of way of living. I don't know any of you like... You've kind of... Your sink is full of, of dirty plates and stuff like that. Or, or our kids, what they love doing is the bin. If the bin is full, but I'm going to find a way of putting one more thing in there so I don't have to take it down to the bin. Anyone ever done that in their home? So, yep, some, some honest people. And, and, and like, because you kind of want that next person, like, if stuff to fall out of the bin, oh, you've got to take it down. Like, it's not my job anymore. And so what we get used to, though, in that idea is we get used to the rubble. We get used to the mess. And it, and it gets to the point where it becomes tolerated. It becomes tolerated in our life. The mess that's in our life, we tolerate it. And it can be, the rubble can be things like distractions abounding in our life. We can have so many distractions. Like, I, again, like, we have, uh, live in a world where all the glitz and glamour, like, there's, I actually rung Optus today, the other, this week about something, and all of a sudden, the first option was, if you're ringing up about the new iPhone, press one. I went... No, I'm ringing up about your service. I don't want to buy another phone, but they're, they're already trying to sort of sell me onto a phone that I didn't want. But some people would listen, oh, there's a new iPhone. New? It's not the latest one. It can, do, it can do more things than my phone can do. It can take better photos, and it can even occasionally ring people that my old phone can also do, but I need to get something that's new. And so all of a sudden, we get, we get caught up in, in distractions. Um, and distractions aren't always a, a bad thing. When, well, the distractions we have may not be a bad thing, but when they take our focus on the thing, off the things that are important, it does. Sin can be... It's probably more than a distraction, but we, we can treat it like a distraction, but it can become commonplace in our life. All of a sudden, we become accepting of, of the things that, oh, yeah, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal that oh, I lied a little bit at work today or I did this at work or I've, I've watched stuff that I really shouldn't. And all of a sudden, it becomes rubble in our life that we tolerate and it robs us of our vision. Even busyness can take over even without us realising it. Because, again, busyness can be one thing. You can have a busy day or a busy week or a busy month and you know it. Um, I remember um, when Elizabeth and I were first married, report cards would come around. And I'd know that week or two weeks leading up to that was um, she would come home and she would, I'd pass her a plate of food. She would stay on the laptop typing report cards. And so for all the teachers that have, still have to do that, like, hey, my, my applause to you because it's a big job and it's an ongoing job. But the thing is... You know that it's going to, you know it's coming, you know it's a season of it, but we, it's what happens when we get busy, all of a sudden we actually set a new standard of life and that becomes the new normal. And then we add to it a bit more and that becomes the new normal. And we add to it a bit more and all of a sudden, all those minutes in the day, they're all used up. And so we actually failed to choose 
what we can and can't do. We fa fail to choose some important things, and all of a sudden, life is just happening around us, and we're just trying to hold on for dear life. Um, now, with vision, it's important to keep the main thing the main thing. I, I heard that at a youth camp years and years ago. It's important to keep the main thing the main thing. Um, but when the rubble is overly abundant in our lives, the main thing doesn't really seem obvious to us anymore. And so, yeah, as I said at the beginning, the rubble can rob your vision. The rubble can rob your vision. And so what we need to realise is that godly vision, it must come from God. Godly vision must come from God. So there are a couple of little principles in this. One, we actually need to seek God out and we need to actually make what God wants a priority for our lives. So in Nehemiah uh, uh, 2, in the second part of verse 11, he said, I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. The key there was that what God had put in my heart. So chapter 1, he, got, he hears about the problem and what does he do? He begins to pray. And at the end of cha and, and cha and, and chapter 1, what does he do? He actually re he thanks God for, for using the king to supply his needs. And here he is saying again, at the, towards the end of chapter 2, he's saying, do you know what? God has put this vision in my heart. God, this is what God wants for the city. This is what God wants for the people of Israel. And so he's very clear about this. This is not about something that he wants to do to actually make himself look good. He could have stayed back in, um, in, in, in Zusa and actually lived in the palace and enjoyed the luxuries of the kingdom back there, but he actually wanted to do what God wanted him to do. And so Nehemiah didn't have an agenda beyond what God had for him. And see, I think we, we struggle at times because we go, God, yeah, that's great, you wanted me to do that, but can you also help me with this next step up here, this next thing? Can you help me with that? I want to achieve that in my life. And who's that about? That's about us. It's about, it's about what we want. And so Nehemiah didn't have an agenda beyond what God had for him. He didn't consult everyone for a popular idea. Hey, let's get a group chat together and say, who would like to, A, build the walls, two, build a swimming pool, or C, um, actually have all-day weekend as mandatory? Which one do you vote for? And everyone goes, oh, they build the wall wouldn't even come up. But again, Nehemiah wasn't a popular idea. He, he, he didn't actually try and sell an easy, something that was easy to do. Um, it wasn't even about being successful. It was about being obedient. And when you have godly vision, all of a sudden, you, if you say yes, you are instantly successful. Why? Because you are doing what God wants you to do. You may not be successful in the idea that, hey, I'm achieving at world man standards and stuff like that, but you are successful because you've said yes to God. And I suppose that we come down to the question, are we willing to seek God for his vision for the now in our life and for the future in our lives? Are we willing to seek and accept his vision for our church, whether it is popular or not, whether it's easy or hard? When we answer those questions, we, 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 we really got to come to this point that we must seek God's vision and to commit to being obedient to it. Now, when it comes to vision, when it comes to overcoming something, no vision happens by ignoring the problem. I think some people, like, it's, we try and find ways of, of, of covering up things in our life. Um, again, um, shutting doors at home and so people can't look into your bedroom or kids' bedrooms, or kids' toy rooms. Uh, um, we shove everything into the dishwasher and cover it up and quickly wipe down the benches. Or 
we, we do those kinds of things, but we, at sometimes in, in other areas of our life, we, we, we get to the point where we go, do you know what, I'm just going to pretend the problem doesn't exist. Now, it's good to be optimistic. I'm not saying don't be optimistic, but positivity that ignores truth will actually keep us happy in the short term, but will ultimately lead to heartbreak. So just think about this for a bit. There's two guys in a boat, a rowboat, and they're rowing along, and all of a sudden, water comes leaking up through the bottom. Now, if they're being like, if they're like positive to the point of stupidity, they go, "Oh, isn't it great that we have cold water leaking through the bottom to refresh our feet?" They, that could be a positive thing to say. Um, they could go, "Isn't it great that all of a sudden I'm I'm, I'm now feeling a lot more refreshed?" Um, uh, from all this hard work rowing that I have. Isn't it great that now this pool, this um, boat is no longer a boat, but it is an internal swimming pool? But ultimately it leads to a point where the boat sinks. See, if there's a problem there, they've got to go, there's a hole in the boat, we've got to do something about that. We've got to address the problem, and that may lead to a fix, it may lead to them sort of swimming to shore, it may lead to something else. But you can't ignore a problem and sort of overcome and Nehemiah had heard the problem in chapter 1, but we find in chapter 2 here, he deliberately investigated the problem himself. Uh, in Nehemiah 2.13, he says, After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's wall, over to the dung gate. Wouldn't, I'm glad you don't live near that gate. Hey, like, I'm not sh- I'm, I can only imagine why I got called that name, um, but to inspect the broken walls and burn gates. Uh, even later on, he actually started walking to a certain point and he couldn't even get through because the rubble blocked all the, um, the progress past. So Nehemiah went, I want to see the problem for myself. I'm not going to sort of sell the idea to everyone saying, hey guys, it's not a big deal, we're just going to fix the wall, it should be easy. No, no, he, he wanted to say, no, there is a big problem here, but we're still going to fix it. And here, here are some solutions around that. So we have to see the problems, the hurdles, so that we can address them to problem solve uh, around them, to pray about them. Like, to pretend they're not there is actually of no benefit to us. And this is where there is a difference between complaint and criticism. Complaint doesn't really seek a resolution, but it seeks to give excuse for us to continue living in the rubble. Oh, my life is like this because... Or if, 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 if the government changed, if my parents changed, if my children changed, if my boss changed, if this all changed, then I would, then I would change. It's complaint. It doesn't actually give us a reason to, to move on. And, and criticism, and constructive criticism, because you can have criticism that is just complaint, but constructive criticism seeks to address the problem in view of finding a solution. There's a totally different reason we say it. Now, the thing is, sometimes... We get to the point where anyone who makes either criticism or complaint, we actually we don't listen to either one. We actually then turn our fingers around. Have you ever done that? Someone complains about something you've done, and then your immediate response is go, "Oh yeah, but you 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 do this, you do that." Like, um, um, and and we don't actually take on board what they're saying. The thing is. One of the things we need to start, even with ourselves, we need to be honest with ourselves first. So we're talking about rebuilding our vision, which starts with rebuilding our relationship, which starts with rebuilding our faith. And if we honestly looked at our lives and go, you know what, my relationship with God is not too good. Well, that day we've addressed the problem. We've actually got to start seeking a solution. What do I do to rebuild my relationship with God? Well, I get into his word. I actually get in praying before him. I start talking to him. I get to church to be with God's people. 
I actually learn to serve him. And then I actually seek to look at God working around me. All those things lead to step two of rebuilding your faith. See, again, if we don't actually get to the point where we address the problem, we don't get the fix that God is wanting to do. We need to be honest within our church. Now, again, honesty where it's just going, you know what, Pastor Keith, that message today, that was 15 minutes too long. That only went for 16 minutes. It was 15 minutes too long, Pastor Keith. Okay, see, if you're just doing that because you've got food on at home or you want to get out of here quicker, well, again, that's just criticism. But honesty, sometimes we need to go, hey, as a church, we need to be doing this better. As a church, is evangelism important to us? Who thinks evangelism is important to us? Now, who has shared their faith this week? Now, looking at the hands on this side of things, it doesn't actually show it as important as we think it is. And so sometimes we, we've got to look at things like that and go, hey, if we say it's important to tell people about Jesus, live for him, how is that going to sort of show through in our lives? So, again, this is going to be a bit of a process. We, we don't going to solve this this morning. This is sort of a, a, something that we want to add in. As we want to rebuild our vision, we've got to be honest with ourselves. And when we're honest, it, it, um, it leads us to the fact that vision must be shared. Vision must be shared. Up until this point, Nehemiah had, had prayed about it. He hadn't even talked with his brother about it, and he didn't even talk to the king and the queen about it. And, and basically got a couple of letters from them to saying, I want to come up here. But he had actually not taken the time to share this with anyone. Now, the thing is, in, in our today's modern world, people share a lot of dumb ideas without even thinking about it. Like they do it the opposite way. Rather than sort of taking more time to think about it, they'll share anything that comes to, to mind really quickly. And one of the, the curses of social media. But Nehemiah has taken a long time to think about it, pray about it, to see God about it, and he, he hasn't yet shared it with the people of Jerusalem. Now, is it important that he shares it with them? Yes, yes. Otherwise, they're going to be the ones doing the building. If he doesn't share it with them, like, it's not going to happen. He can't just sort of, just, I'm just, I want to, you to read my mind and just do it, like... We need to share vision. And in verse 16 he says, the, cities official, the city officials did not know I'd been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. See, this is a necessary step, and without it, what happens, Nehemiah would have been become an old man saying, do you know what, when I was younger, I had this big dream of actually rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. It never happened, but oh, I really wanted to see it happen. It became a dream, it became a vision for him that became a dream, that it became something that was sort of a, 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 a hope that was part of his history. But Nehemiah went to the people. He actually went to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, anyone he could talk to, gathered them together. And in verse 17 he then said, But now I said to them, You know very well the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Now again, what does he do? He doesn't steer away from the problem. He doesn't say, oh, hey guys, Jerusalem needs a little bit of a paint job and a little bit of work and we'll be all good. So if we all chip in, we'll get it done in, in a matter of days. No, he said, there is a big problem here. The walls are in ruins. We are not safe. We are not protected. It is a problem. But then he goes on to say this, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. So Nehemiah didn't ignore the problem. 
He didn't look beyond it, but he did look beyond it. He sort of saw the end goal. And he set the goal from everyone. What was the word that he used? Let us. He said, you guys got to do a better job and, do, and you need to get, the, get your gear, get your act in the gear and, and build this wall. You should have done it ages ago and I'm going to be telling the king you haven't done it and, and I'll be watching over you, make sure you're working hard and you should be no overtime but you've got to work overtime. No, he said, let us rebuild this work together. So Nehemiah was not only bringing resources, he was bringing in his arms and his legs and saying, this is something that we're going to do. He wasn't going to do the job for them. Persia wasn't going to do the job. He says, you're not going to do it alone. We are going to do it together. And see, this is the thing. The church is the body of Christ moving together. I think this is probably one of the biggest failings of the church universal. No, I'm not saying, not picking on our church specifically here, but the church universal is that we think church is somewhere we go and we attend and then we go home. No, church is something that we are part of. Our gifts are part of that church and using those gifts becomes so important. Um, our, our time, our effort, our resources become part of the body of Christ. And it's a, this becomes an essential step for us as a church to rebuild. And we're going to be talking more about this idea of the church moving together in, in coming weeks. So we're going to focus a little bit more in a couple, couple of weeks. But Nehemiah took the time to share the vision with the people. And that actually leads to the last point I want to make today. And it's sort of one of these things that it just it strengthens everything because sharing vision will help rebuild faith together. The task before them was huge. Like Nehemiah spent the night riding around and going, look at all the problems. In fact, I can't even get through here. The wall is so much rubble. Can't even do it. It was a huge task. And it could have been too big for the people to believe in, going, Nehemiah, what are you thinking? How are we going to be able to achieve that? I can't even imagine it. Too many difficulties and their faith wasn't built, rebuilt enough yet. So Nehemiah does something to help it along. In verse 18, he says, Then I told them about the gracious hand of God, how the gracious hand of God had been on me, and about my conversation with the king. Okay, so last week when Nehemiah got the response from the king, he said, I thank God for his, that his gracious hand was upon me. He recognised God at work. And here is his first opportunity to actually bring people in. He, Nehemiah didn't go, do you know what, guys? I actually had a really successful conversation with the king and I was able to get this out of him. I was able to do this and I was able to do this because I'm so influential. Now, what happened was... We got to the point where he says, no, the gracious hand of God had been on me. And because of that, the people started listening. Wow, look at God working in Nehemiah's life. Look at how Nehemiah's faith is, is rebuilding. Look at how Nehemiah's um, relationship is being rebuilt. And what did they do? They replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. Let us do this job. And so they began the good work. All of a sudden, Nehemiah's rebuilding faith became a catalyst for their rebuilding faith. And as you start going through the chapters that follow this, you'll see that their faith continues to grow. You see how all of this stuff works together? As, we, as you start to get in a position where you see God working in your life, all of a sudden you can be influential in someone else's life in helping their faith rebuild. You may be influential in helping someone even begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Relationship helps faith, which helps vision. Which helps vision and faith and relationship to those around. And then it repeats. Do you see that? It sort of goes around in a circle. As, as my relationship grows, my faith grows, my vision grows, and all of a sudden I help someone else. And as their vision grows, their faith grows, their relationship grows, and then they do it to someone else, and then they do it to someone else. And all of a sudden, we, we may not be removed from the rubble that is, is our world. Like there might be still rubble in our lives, but we start to look beyond that. We start to look over that. We start to look towards God in the midst of whatever we're facing. And all of a sudden, we start to praise God. We, we're able to get to the point where we're saying, because the gracious hand of God is upon me in this. Hey, because... Because the gracious hand of God is upon me, even though I'm going through a horrible sickness right now, I know God is with me. Praise God for that. Even though I'm facing financial hardship, I know that God is with me and his gracious hand is upon me. Even though my family is falling apart, I know that the gracious hand of God is upon me. Even though there is horrible things that I'm going to be facing this week, I know that I go in the strength of God and the gracious hand of God is upon me. And as we go through that, all of a sudden, people will see God at work around us. When we rebuild our vision, it helps others to rebuild theirs and their faith and their relationship. And so let's, let's get rebuilding that. Let's start talking about that. Let's get excited about what God wants us to do. Be excited about what God wants our church to do. And let's, let's be obedient to where he calls us to go. Lord, I thank you that you are the one who sets our goal. You're the one who sets our vision. I thank you that you are a God who... In doing that, you grow our faith. You grow our relationship. Um, I pray for those today that are maybe struggling to see you at work in their lives. May there be people here that will inspire them and encourage them as they share what God has been doing. But God, imprint upon us as we read your word, as we pray to you, as we get to know you, that you are truly a God that needs to be our vision to set our, our footsteps in the right direction. And we pray this in your name. Amen.